Hey there, it's Corey Andrew of the Core Issues Podcast. As a journalist, pop culture commentator, and recording artist, creative experiences and having strong opinions are a big part of my life. On the Core Issues with Corey Andrew Podcast, I'll be sharing those opinions, and you may not always agree, but I welcome the discussion. On a range of topics, from social matters and politics to entertainment, LGBTQ plus issues, conversations with celebrity guests, and of course, talking to everyday people doing extraordinary things. Three-time Emmy nominee Laverne Cox rose to international fame for her groundbreaking role on Orange is the New Black. I spoke with the celebrated transgender actress and activist on a range of topics, including transgender representation in the media, the rise in violence against trans women, her advocacy work for human rights, and her new collaboration with Band-Aid brand Red to help in the fight against HIV and AIDS. Hi, Corey. Laverne Cox here. Hi, Laverne. So nice to talk to you. Where are you? Well, I'm in Jersey City, of course, right outside of Manhattan. Where are you from? Uh, so I'm from Trenton, New Jersey, originally. And so I'm a Jersey okay. boy, you know, but I've been to New York since, like, gosh, I was a teenage runaway at 15. <laughs> so oh, wow. that takes okay. it back a little cool. bit, you know. So I kind of, uh, I, I, I get the whole world around, um, you know, advocacy and trying to help the kids today, trying to get it together. So, yeah, so I'm in Jersey. I'm a Jersey boy. Gorgeous. All right. Now you can ask me questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm on the Laverne Cox show. Yes. I'm so happy you asked. I appreciate your interest. So thank you. Well, first, let me just do a proper introduction because I am with Instinct Magazine. So I will just uh, Mm -hmm. announce that uh, my name is Corey Andrew at Instinct Magazine. And I'm here speaking with the beautiful three-time Emmy nominated outspoken advocate, Miss Laverne Cox. Thank you. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Well, you know, I know you won an Emmy actually for, I think there was like the MTV documentary. Yes, Laverne Cox presents the T word is my only Emmy now as the executive producer. Okay. But like I'll take it. I'm very happy. Yes, no. That of I have course. that Emmy. <laughs> right. No, honey, I'm sure. I would take it too. But then of course you've got the three uh nominations for acting for Orange is the New Black. Yes. Right. Mm. See, I need yeah. them to quit playing and just give it to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like stop being making Laverne the Susan Lucci of Orange is the New Black. So hopefully... You know, I was at the Creative Arts Emmys on Sunday, and I was I was standing with Cicely Tyson and Felicia Rashad, who were oh. also nominated in my category. Wow. Terry Jones took home the statue on Sunday. And I was so... I was like, if this is the company of people who did not win an Emmy, I this is fantastic company to be in. Oh so I'm gosh. just... Deeply, deeply honored to be even mentioned in the same breath as the women who were in my category. And um, and getting to celebrate the last season of Orange is the New Black is just, as an Emmy nominee, it's just been the best thing ever. Well, you know, that is pretty much an amazing journey, too, considering people who don't know this amazing story you've told before. But I have to tell it because, of course, I was a Candace Kane fan in New York City forever. Ah. And I used to go oh, to yeah. see her perform at Tomato and run out in the street and carry on and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but you tell this amazing story about the the, the pivotal moment for you in uh, going for your dreams just as an openly trans performer, unapologetic, and just going for your dreams. And it stemmed from a, a watershed moment from Candace. Can you just explain that briefly to our to our listeners? Yeah. I've talked about this a lot, and I think you, I can't talk about it enough, is, is that my life changed in 2007 when Candace Kane became the first openly transgender act- actor to have a recurring role in a primetime television show. That show was Dirty, Sexy Money. And that 
the moment that happened, I said, this is our moment. This is our time now. I can be openly who I am and pursue my dream. And I went out and printed 500 postcards that said, Laverne Cox is the answer to all your acting needs. And I sent them to agents and casting directors in L.A. and Los Angeles and I, in L.A. and New York. Excuse me. I got four meetings. And one of those meetings was, was with my manager, now manager, Paul Halepo. This was um, 12 years ago. And that changed my life. If I did not see that, I don't think I would have believed it was possible to be openly trans and to be a working actor. And Candace Kane showed me it was possible. The people who hired Candace Kane showed me it was possible. And that is really the wonderful thing about an opportunity that you give one person an opportunity, but then it, it could have a ripple effect. Isn't that amazing? Yes. No, that, that's partly that why. That, that's really partly why I wanted to um, partner with Band-Aid and Red because like so often in this world, with so much going on right now, I have felt helpless. I felt like, what can we do? I don't know how to fix this, how to make this better. And with Band-Aid and Red, if I just go to CVS and purchase a box of red Band-Aids, 20 cents of that, 20 cents from that purchase will go for a full day's medication for someone in sub-Saharan Af- Africa who's um, living with AIDS oh, wow. to, uh, to help save their lives. Oh, wow. 20, 20 cents. Isn't that amazing? That and is. so all the proceeds. And so Red, Red has been doing this incredible work for years, but they've um, partnered with Band-Aid right now. So they have these gorgeous red Band-Aids that are really pretty chic that you can go and go and buy your CVS and we have band-aids in our medicine cabinet anyway I know I do <laughs> right. most of us have band-aids so yes. it's a product we all already use and the purchase of these particular red band-aids can save lives in Africa and so that is something concrete we can do we can end the HIV AIDS epidemic in our lifetimes we really can and so I, uh, I just I'm so honored to be able to do this and get to talk about this today and that um, hopefully people, you know, soon on my social media, I'll have some photos of me and my lovely red band-aids with the hashtag <laughs> band together. And hopefully other folks will get their band-aids and we'll like start a little, you know, little campaign on social. Oh, to, um, sure. And hopefully also, I would love to encourage people when they post their photos of um, with their red band-aids with hashtag band together, that we start to, you know, have a conversation about HIV AIDS in our lives and the stigma that still exists around it. Yes. What kind of conversations are we having, whether you're LGBTQ or not? How do we like, how do we change the conversation? Because I think there's still a lot of stigma around HIV AIDS and people who are living with AIDS that we still need to combat so that people aren't shamed to go and get treatment and get help. No, I agree with you totally because it's very interesting. I'm working on another uh, another story right now about uh, the cycle for the cause, which is the bike ride from Boston to New York, which is to go, uh, it, you know, it raises lots of money. And part of my research in that is I'm still discovering how a lot of people, you know, especially in the urban communities, we have that stigma still, that like almost like 1980s fear and stigma in some instances where people are afraid of people with HIV and afraid of AIDS and there's all these different things that are just antiquated and thinking and so we're still trying to combat that you know and so I love that you're in this partnership and especially because Band-Aid is such an iconic like American brand we all grew up with that in the house yes so absolutely so and it's synonymous with caring for yourself it's synonymous with caring for yourself and caring for others too yeah and this is a great way that we can with this purchase you know care for people you know another part of the world and um 
make their lives better. Well, I'm going to make sure that we all, all of my my followers at Instinct will know about this campaign. And we have about uh, half a million people over on Facebook following us. So I will make sure that half a million folk know about this wonderful campaign you are involved with. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Sure. I appreciate that. Well, yes, of course. And so now coming to back to your television work, now you have been booking all the jobs, honey. The kids are like, girl, we want to book something too, honey. You booking everything. <laughs> So there are a lot of a lot of the girls are working. It's all good, and and, and I'm there's enough to go around. I'm not as, as into scarcity. There's abundance. There's enough to go around. So yes, um, yes. there is. Yes, well, I'm not know, the only girl booking the job. So. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for clearing me up on that. Well, listen, you know the, the thing about it though, <laughs> you like no, honey. Let me just set you straight. No, but listen, the truth of the matter is back to what you said about Candace. Here's a really great observation, and I thank you for bringing that up because for you. Candace provided a watershed moment and you became this really great iconic presence in media. And when I look at it chronologically, from you stems this whole next generation, like Isis King, who I know personally, and and then I got to interview India Moore and MJ Rodriguez on the red carpet and Dominique Jackson. So I mean so your whole your whole premise is is so correct. Like if people can see the possibilities, right? In yeah. the, and, and every aspect, same thing we tell little black kids, right? You know, you can grow up to be anything. Well, the yeah. same thing applies. So I think that's yeah. a fascinating and I think So it's these, these actors who have seen it. You know, I, Hari Neff, who's a brilliant um, young actress who's openly trans. She, she's brilliant on this show called You on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. She's amazing on it. She doesn't even, the character isn't even trans. Hari saw the first, she was at Columbia University, saw the first season of Orange is the New Black and thinking she needed to do something different at Columbia. She was frustrated with the theater department because she knew she needed to transition. After she saw, saw me in the first season of Orange is the New Black, she went to her theater department and said, I'm I'm a woman. I'm auditioning for female parts from now on. Hmm. And that's what it's going to be. And that's what she did. Wow. And her first job out of college was on, on the second or third season of Transparent. And I was like, this is incredible yeah um so i'm so proud of these of these actors who are seeing a sense of possibility but then i'm also proud of um people like ryan murphy and stephen canals and fx and the networks who are taking chances on shows like pose yes, right yes. that that um the sort of gatekeepers are saying there is value in telling these stories i'm proud that the creators at billions over on showtime were like we want to have a non-binary character for the first time on television played brilliantly by Asia K. Dillon, who's an Orange is New Black and alum, mm. that they get to have this incredible role that is integral to the storyline on Billions, and that and that other artists and creators are being inspired to hire trans people in front of and behind the camera, not just for trans roles. That is what the change looks like. The people who have the power to hire and fire and, and cast, that they are thinking outside the box. And, and, and it's not, for me, it's, it's yes, it's about trans representation and telling our stories, but it's also about people of color, it's about people with disabilities. It's about storylines like on those on pose of people who are living with HIV AIDS and and, and working to destigmatize that with with on shows like that and hopefully others will see that more, more of those stories that aren't just period pieces, right? Yeah, I mean we have seen. There's just so much representation out there. The whole idea about trans almost in a way feels like it's a prefix that to me is almost a little bit getting getting in the way. Is like you know mm-hmm. you're you're not and, and tell me how you feel about this like. Every time you're, of course, uh, not every time, but mostly when you're announced, if someone's doing a story on you or you're getting an accolade and it's always a moniker of, uh, you know, the first openly trans 
a woman or actress to do XYZ, is there a point for you where you think in the plight of a transgender person, we kind of want that prefix to go away? Or is it part of your your existence where that does make me uniquely different? So yes, I'm a trans woman as opposed to a woman. Like, How do you feel about that distinction? I think different trans people are going to tell you different things. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you what I what what Laverne thinks about it. So I love actresses like Jamie Clayton, who's a, who's a dear friend of mine. I've known her for years. She people know her from since age. She was just on Designated Survivor. She's she's w- brilliant actress, working actress, and who does not want trans next to her name when she's spoken about because she feels. I think she said in an interview that it like. It becomes a disclaimer or something, right. and she's not want her talent to be thought of in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I am all for that, and I think that is absolutely brilliant. What I have been fighting for is for trans people to be able to um, identify and be exist in the world on their own terms. And so it's not it's not I I. I like trans being um, placed by my name. The, and the reason is because trans is beautiful. The reason is because I had to fight the internalized transphobia for years to own my transness. And so I, I, I'm I, proud of it. And I think, too, the political reality is that trans people are still being targeted by our government, um, that, that we're still being murdered with impunity all over this country and the world. And for me, it's important to say trans because of the historical and the political realities of what what we're dealing with right now and so that the only necessity really to talk about being trans or talking about being a person of color is in the context of a political reality or an historical reality and so for me it's important to talk about that reality and to name my transness as I talk about those realities and then to hopefully strategize for ways to change change the realities for for, for trans folks who are experiencing discrimination experiencing violence and so but I completely respect what Jamie, uh, how Jamie has approached her career, how Hari Neff is approaching her career around her transness and how I, I think for me, because I, the way that Jamie's doing it is probably going to resonate with a lot of folks out there, other trans folks out there. And they're going to say, well, you know, they're going to see me in the media and they're like, you know, I love Laverne Cox, but I don't want to do my career the way she's doing it, but I can do it the way Jamie Clayton's doing it, or I could do it the way Hari Neff is doing it, or I could do it the way India Moore is doing it. And so there's options. And so for me it's really about having that or i or i'm not you know binary at all i i like the way Asia Kate Dillon is doing it they're non-binary or where are the trans men you know so it's we can we can make those choices i i'm not into any kind of dogma around how people identify themselves i think that is an individual thing and i don't i don't think that's to be a source of chaos as like our government wants to try to sort of make it i think that's a source of liberation and can be and should be for everybody well, I think that's a brilliant answer because it shows there's no blanket statement that would represent everybody. And just like for me as a gay black man, yeah. I don't want to walk into the room first and be announced always as, okay, this is gay black Corey, right? So it's like, well, you know, I'm kind of more than that. But yeah, there are times when for me, yeah, I want that to be uh, the prefix because it's the context where I need to make that distinction that we are here and we exist. And so I totally appreciate, you know, that answer that it's it's a fluid situation based on the individual. So I totally respect Absolutely. that. So a couple, Absolutely. Um, yes. Um, well, just a couple yeah. other little things here I wanted to ask you. Well, they're not little, actually, because they're kind of a couple things that I have been thinking about. To tap onto what you just mentioned regarding violence when it comes to what seemingly is a recent, really r- big rise in violence against trans women, but it seems distinctly against 
trans women of color or ethnic trans women, always seemingly at the hands of men. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think is fueling that in society? And tell me what you think might be something that can be attempted to to make that stop. Ah, so this is, this is one of those things. This is one of the things where I feel since I've had a public platform, I've been talking about violence against trans trans women. I have watched the numbers increase every year of the murders of trans women. And I feel at a loss, honestly, I feel at a loss. And I, I, I don't know if I know what, what we can do because it involves the decision that the potential perpetrator will make in a moment around whether they will instigate violence against someone when, who is trans. And so, I, so that's a hearts and minds conversation, right? How do we begin to change the conversation right now? A lot of what we do know, statistically, I, I've done a lot of work with the Anti-Violence Project of New York City, and a lot of their research, a lot of their data reveals that a lot of the violence that trans women are experiencing is actually is, are experiencing is intimate partner violence. So then what are the conversations that we need to have with our partners? There was, there was a couple of different cases where um, the folks, folks who murder trans women were, had been dating them, right? I often talk about Mercedes Williamson, a trans woman who was murdered in Mississippi a few years back. Um, she was murdered by a, a, her, a guy she used to date, and he was a gang member. He was a Latin king, and he they had broken up, but he didn't want his fellow gang members to know that he had dated her. And so he killed her, which it seems insane. But conversation around um, trans attraction and our partners, that conversation is happening a little bit more in the media right now. So I think we need to continue to amplify that conversation so we begin to destigmatize attraction to trans women so that we're not stigmatizing trans women and, then the, and, our, and their partners. They're um, often straight identified male partners. So there's an intimate partner piece of that. And then what the Anti-Violence Project has also revealed is that there, that these, this violence is also happening at the intersection of um, homelessness. It's happening at the intersection of um, survival street economies, right? If you don't have a place to live and you have to engage in a, a survival street economy that exposes you to violence, be a potential victim or survivor of violence more than someone who doesn't have to experience that. So then the questions become about employment. And then how do we get trans people jobs where they don't have to sort of resort to street economies. Our unemployment rate is three times national, four times that for trans people of color. How do we get places for folks to live? Casa Ruby, this um, wonderful um, organization run by Ruby Corrado in DC. She's been working to get places for um, trans people to live so that they're not on the streets and more susceptible to violence. Mm. Um, So it's a multi-pronged problem. So there's a systemic thing happening where trans people are not getting employment and having to resort to street economies and then like not having a place to live. And that makes them, you know, bigger targets of violence. So it's a multi-pronged, it's systemic, but then it's like also the interpersonal piece. I think it's a lot of, a lot of things that are contributing to these murders. And I think part of the reason that we may, it may not, there might be more murders, but it just might be better reporting, right? So that we're getting, we're being misgendered less by the police, misgendered less by um, the media and reporting these murders. So um, there may not be more murders. There just be maybe better reporting on the murders. Right. I understand completely. So the the next phase of that, however, would be distinctly 
when it comes to the black community. I'm curious about something that I just noticed too with your particular presence in the media. You have, I think, twice appeared on the cover of Essence, correct? In like an ensemble group. Now, as I have, yeah, yes, and they were gorgeous covers. I love them both. (laughs) You guys look stunning. Thank you. Gorgeous. Thank Um, you. You're welcome. And as a young black man growing up in a home with like all women, basically. I mean, Essence Magazine, you know, like Essence Magazine was like our version of Vogue. Like Susan Taylor was oh, basically yeah. Anna Wintour for us. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Right. So, oh, yeah. Um, so to see. Me too. Me too. Right. So you had that same association with Essence. Right. Absolutely. So when you were on the cover of that twice, I thought that was astounding because, you know, Essence, of course, the beauty editors, I mean, those are all black women, of course, behind the scenes, mostly at Essence. Mm-hmm. I found that to be a really strong step in the right direction, even if it was part of an ensemble, that you were on the cover and very, I mean, mostly it was overwhelmingly positive. I didn't really hear anything. I didn't remember anything being negative. It wasn't all positive. <laughs> so, okay, so tell me but, about but, that. So you but, had some pushback from, from women? I, I, there always is. I like to focus on the positive. Okay. I think it's important to acknowledge that it wasn't all positive. Okay. I focus on the positive. I think everyone in essence has been so incredible to me over the years, and I hope I've returned the love to them. I'm so eternally grateful to Essence for existing mm-hmm. um, as a blueprint for me as a young young person growing up in Alabama. My, you know, it came every month, and I was yes. just, you know, I, I, I got to it before my mother did. <laughs> yeah. And so, and there's been such, you know, it's so it's very interesting because I think it's a both it's a both and that our our community, our communities of color have a long way to go. But I I've experienced such incredible support, and I and I feel like I don't know if I have said that enough publicly, mm-hmm. right? I was just on a Black Lady to the rest of the cast, and it meant so much to me as a Black woman to be a part of that, to be on the cover of Essence twice, to have so much support from black women my entire life black women have um, obviously my a black woman birthed me and raised me and i've gotten such incredible support it just it, it's incredible and i and i so i just want to celebrate the black women in my life the black women who supported me certainly i i've seen angelica ross on black women own the conversation on own recently yes, that was amazing. um an amazing thing and just seeing all of those, these various levels of support. So yes, you go in the comment section on Essence, you know, I remember um, Essence like posted a lovely photo of me um, in some jeans some, from a red carpet. I was in jeans or something. And I think the caption said, no one's ever looked better in a pair of jeans and Laverne Cox has in these jeans. And I was like, oh, thank you. Mm. And the comment section was lit with like a lot of um, I'm transphobia. Sure. I'm sure. And that was that was discouraging and sad and saddened me, but that is also the internet. Right. Right. Um, but, but the support is still there and I, and there's, and Madame Noir has been amazing. And so of late, and so there's so many black, black women specifically who have done such incredible work to be inclusive of black trans women who are asking the questions of um, during June, during Pride Month, black, Madame Noir approached me and said, you know, there's all these murders of black trans women. What more can black women be doing to, to to support black trans women so there's a lot of effort to have these conversations from 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 black women some black men and um, mark lamont hill has always been insanely supportive so there's that and then there's like you know some frustration that my communities um that trans women of color are having around not getting enough feeling that they're getting enough support and it's not going far enough right. and i think it's the, always the work of activists to push us to do better and to do more. And I think that it's so important that people are working inside the system and outside the system to push us 
to do more and to be better. And so I, I so it's from so important for me to have a both and approach to this. That it's that it's, that it's both and. What I've seen, what I've experienced in my life is that we are banding together. Um, <laughs> Hashtag band together that, you know, that red and bandaid um, hashtag, but really, you know, we can all we're, we're banding together more and we can do more, certainly. But I do want to acknowledge and celebrate those those folks who are doing the work to build alliances across differences, particularly in communities of color. That's wonderful. Yeah, we have to acknowledge that because they're not all LGBT people. They're just often our allies. And so they have to also be given accolades for for being brave enough to stand up and be our our allies publicly. So I appreciate that. And a lot of times it's not even like being brave. I mean, Ava DuVernay invited me to her racial day of healing. And I don't think Ava was like, oh, we need to. I don't think she was being brave. It wasn't brave to her. It was just like, let's let's have Laverne come and talk. It wasn't even a thing. You Mm, know, it was just like, of course. Right. You know, so there's. There's so much, and there's so much of that that I that I that's so important to celebrate and to just you know and and Ava has I mean Ava um, hired Isis King and mm-hmm. when they see us to tell the authentic story of yes. one of the um the, uh, one of the exonerated five who mm-hmm. had a trans sister yes. you know and um Ava had a trans man on um, Queen Sugar my friend um, Brian Michael Smith so it so she but it's for her I think she just. Is do- I mean, she's just telling stories authentically. And so it's not, I don't even think she's trying to be diverse. She's just trying to tell truthful stories. And it's beautiful. On that same note, how do you feel about straight actors in Hollywood playing roles that are written as gay characters? There's a lot of different perspectives on this, but what do you think about that? Oh, Billy Porter said, that he, and his. I feel like Billy Porter said that <laughs> better than I could in terms of um, straight actors playing gay in his Hollywood Reporter Roundtable. So I yes, reference I <laughs> everyone to that. Maybe you should, I think you should link everyone to that. I think that was, this, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful just to have Billy at the table um, mm-hmm. having that conversation, right? I also, in, um, for Variety, we did a roundtable um, a year ago, me and a group of other trans actors, and we talked about, you know, non-trans actors playing trans parts and, and what that is. Mm. is. And, and what my feeling, what I said then and what I'll say now is that artists are artists. And I think artists should have the freedom to do and express ourselves in whatever way we see fit in our work. I really do. But I also think that there's an impact. Jen Richards, my friend Jen Richards, who's on that panel for Variety, said that when cisgender men specifically play trans characters, it sends the message that trans women are really men. When we see the beautiful Jared Leto, you know, arriving at an award show or accepting an award to playing a trans character in his beautiful beard and his lovely, all his loveliness, Jared mm-hmm. Leto's very handsome, <laughs> yeah, yes. um, that it sends the message that trans women are really men. And so then what is the impact of that? If we, if you are an artist who cares about that, you might want to think about that casting choice. If you don't care, then you don't care. Um, and so I think it's just about thinking about the impact of the work. And then what does it mean, too, that Billy Porter is the first openly gay Black man to be nominated for a Best um, Actor uh, in a Drama Emmy. Like, right, that in 2019, that's the first time that's happened. What is it which, when we don't have openly gay people playing gay roles? What, what, how do, what does that say about opportunities for, for, for gay men to be openly gay and to like, not have that limit their careers? Are we still there? 
I, I would like to think we're not there. You know, we can certainly think of um, openly gay actors who are who are managing to work and play roles that are just gay, but it, it, it's still tricky. So, like, what 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 kind of world do we want to live in artistically, too? You know. So, I think with the way Billy said it is really about opportunity. Who are we giving opportunities to? How do we increase, you know, people's ability to ability to be able to, you know, take care of themselves? So, yes, I did read his, yeah. his response to that and that and that um, issue. And I definitely think I will link that so the other readers can know what we're referencing because he did sum it up. He did get some blowback from it, too, because, of course, it's an opinion. And some some people would argue that it's just about the acting and that's it. But you bring up a lot of the other nuances that are there that like the impact, which I had not even considered on the bigger scope. So it should be about the art. You know, it should always be about the art. But then it's like it's oh, it's ne- it's it's. There's, 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 it's all, it's always political. Yeah. It just is, whether we want it to be or not. Even when we strive to not be political, that's political. Right. What you know, and when particularly with trans folks, when eighty four percent of Americans say that they have not personally met someone trans, and that what the what we put on screen is becomes really, really important. Yes, we can be artists and do what we want to do, and I, and I would never tell an artist that they should or shouldn't do something, but I would encourage them to think about the impact of what it is they're doing. Well, thank you for that, Laverne. And listen, I have this one last thing to ask you because it's about impact. You've given me such great segues here today. <laughs> I appreciate that. You didn't even realize you were doing it. but My pleasure. Yes, thank you. Well, so the documentary, Disclosure, of which yes, you are the executive. Thank you for asking. Yes, of course. No, I, I mean, I was on your website and I was like, okay, I need, I don't know if this is completed. Are you still working on it? But it was fascinating to me because when I saw like the thumbnails of all the images of the past representations of I guess, I don't know if it was transgenderism or just representations of gender. I don't even know how to explain. Well, I'll allow you to explain what is the documentary about, and then we can kind of tap into it from there. Disclosure Trans Lives on Screen looks at the history of how trans people have been represented on screen over the past hundred years. The from Some of the very first films ever shot, the Edison Shorts in in the 1890s, feature cross-dressing. So we look at the history of how gender, how people have um, sort of traversed gender expectations through cross-dressing and later representations of trans people and and what how that impacted the lives of real life trans people. So we're interviewing all trans people on, on, on screening, talking about the impact of these images on their lives. Mm. We talked to a lot of actors about the role, their experiences playing trans characters or not trans characters on, on screen over the years. And we, we look at, how these images and these representations and these tropes have influenced the ways in which the culture thinks about trans people. And um, it's, it's one of those things, too, where we hope it exists on multiple levels, because um, as, as, as an actress, I've gotten over the years, I've gotten scripts from very well-meaning screenwriters who want to tell trans stories, and they have no idea how problematic their scripts are. They have mm. no idea that they're feeding into tropes and stereotypes right. and negative um, representations of trans people, because it's never been broken down to them in, in, in a particular way. So Sam Fetter, our director, is working in the traditions of, like, you know, sort of the trans cellular closet, but it's also mm-hmm. in the tradition of a lot of... Um, 
um, um, feminist cinematic critique and, and, and black cultural criticism of film in terms of looking at the ways in which um, these representations shape the way in which the culture thinks about trans people and shapes our lives and affects our lives. It's a, um, a beautiful, I can go, I can talk about this documentary all day. No, it looks but it's a beautiful amazing. story. Yeah, uh, it's a beautiful story. One of the one of the women we interviewed talks about watching Soap Dish, that brilliant film with Sally Field and Whoopi Goldberg and Kevin Kline from like I think 1990 or so. And she had she would have movie nights with her family, and I and she was young and she was always already sort of starting to show signs of being perhaps being you know gender nonconforming or trans. And the moment at the end of Soap Dish when um, Montana Moorhead is revealed as being trans and how she so everyone laughs at her and shames her and it becomes this moment and it just she, the way she talks about this moment sitting with her family in this moment was just it gave me chills it gave me chills and so it's 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 trans people interacting with how these images have affected their lives, how they see themselves, how other people see them, how the people in their lives um, see them and interact with them. And then hopefully it, it allows us, it allows us to sort of begin to chart a new future mm-hmm. with how we're represented on screen. And I think this is a great time to take a look, you know, as things are shifting so much on well, screen for trans folks. Yes. I mean, it's funny you mentioned about the public perception because just one little extra tidbit there for me as a child, seeing the world according to Garp as a little boy and yes, the, the yes. character that John Lithgow plays, Roberta, who was the former NFL linebacker or something who have now yeah. transgender. That comp- he, he, he as an actor completely normalized Roberta. And I was like, I want an Aunt Roberta. I want that person in my life. Like I was a child mm. and it already just normalized for me that there might be a person in this situation. And I, so, I mean, I was really little when that came out. So you're dead on, you know, spot on about the public perception, how, how media representation can really shape that. So, um, so I appreciate Now, what is the status of the, is it out right now? We are, we can link to, if you can link to it in the, in the, oh, I will, in the of article, that'd be great. As yes. well as linking to, um, uh, Band-Aid and eight and, uh, and red. You can go to CBS and buy their red Band-Aids <laughs> yes. and then, um, tweet their photo with their red band-aid hashtag band together we can band together to end AIDS and we can band together you know and just and just make the world a better place in a lot of different ways oh wow yes well you know what I'm I'm just so happy to speak with you because just not only are you uh, of course an inspiration for people in the trans community but and not even just the LGBTQ community you literally are an inspiration to anyone and everyone who has a dream and wants to be counted mm. and has a message right? mm. and wants to be heard. So I thank just have to you. thank you for being you and thank you for talking to me today. And, and uh, my readers and followers at Instinct Magazine, they are going to love it. So uh, we appreciate awesome. your time, Laverne. Thank you. What a pleasure it's been chatting with you. I appreciate you. Thank oh, you. I appreciate you too. And thank you. And um, hopefully I will see you in person sometime around town, girl. Enjoy. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, John. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Core Issues with me, Corey Andrew. For future episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. On Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, you can follow me at Corey Andrew. And follow the Core Issues Facebook page at Core Issues Media.